0: Is we have massive, massive storms. I mean, you just, they come and you, it's just part of life. I guess here in Tennessee, we can identify with that, but we don't have hills and trees to stop these storms. They're just coming with no resistance. I was at youth camp and um, one of these huge storms were, were coming in and, and one of my friends was the preacher and before he got up to preach, all of the electricity went out. And, and it, was, it was quite haunting because the lights went out and the air conditioning stopped, and so you could hear every little noise, and so it just kind of created this tense atmosphere. Well, the safest thing to do for all the students was to keep them there in the assembly room or in the sanctuary. It was about this size, and so they decided, the camp directors, let's just continue with service and talk about you know, wondering if the wrath of God was coming to all these teenagers. He just kind of felt that. Well, my friend uh, who was preaching uh, had, had brought a couple of his young babies in the trip. And, and he got up, and, and, and before he got up to preach, uh, one of his babies being held by, the, by a, teenage, a teenager was, was quite fussy. I mean, he, you know, children can pick up kind of the tension in the room and, and so you could hear this one child just crying and not being consoled, and his mother was with another child, and the preacher had to preach, and, and it was loud, and, and we all just felt this brooding kind of feeling. And when my friend started preaching, and his voice started projecting to the room, all of a sudden, the baby stopped crying. Later on, I heard the story, I heard the details, and I heard how the baby, when it heard the voice of daddy, just kind of relaxed. All the tension left. The scripture that Pastor Josh read to you today, that we're going to journey through, was written to a country, it was written to a tribe, to a nation, to a specific group of people. And we'll acknowledge those implications. But it's also written to you today. It's written to you, and God wants you to hear something. And did you catch the first verse? Now, this is what the Lord says to the one who created, created you, Jacob. Look at verse 1 there. Go ahead and put that up Isaiah 43 1. The one who formed you, Israel, says this Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. Redeem means I've paid a price for you. We'll discuss that as we move forward. But I have called you by name, you are mine. The call of the Lord. The call of the Lord that we hear that. I'm talking today, the title of this message, Through Fire and Waters. Because guys, we've been through the fire and we've been through flood waters. Yeah, I know there's stories here about specific instances of surviving physical fire and physical water, but metaphorically, it's those times, those times when we don't know if we'll get through the fire and we don't know if we'll pass through the waters. And, and I think the scripture wants to tell you something today. It wants to remind you of what you already know in your heart. And here's my first observation is he calls me. He calls me, just like that baby. Who was picking up the atmosphere in the room and had all the tension and fear within it, even a fear that that little baby couldn't articulate or couldn't understand. At least those of us who were older, we could reason, we could convince ourselves that this situation was temporary, but this, this, this child could not do that. But the voice of the Father caused that fear to leave. And the Lord is reminding you today that. The fear that you naturally will pick up on. And even the fears you don't understand. Probably, I mean, that's where fear comes from anyway, right? The unexpected. Like if we knew the predictability of life and we knew that everything would be okay, then there would be nothing to fear. We do know that, but we have to remind ourselves of that. Somehow the the term, the call of God, has become this really heavy kind of thing. The Lord has called you, as if it's this unpleasant experience. Like, oh, God's called me. I guess I can't live for myself now. We've unintentionally uh, equated the call of God with something negative or restrictive are, are something that's going to cost us something we're not really wanting to pay. But the first call of God, the first call of God in Genesis chapter 3 was a call of love. And at the cool of the day, God asked this question, where are you? Where are you, Adam? Where are you, Eve? Why did God ask that question? Because it was relational God wanted to be with Adam. He wanted to be with Eve. The call of God is a call of love. It's a call of love. It's not something that we should fear or dread or even act like it's unbecoming to us. In paradise, the place of perfection, God was calling us. And I I think about the Gospels. When Jesus called people, you know, we, we don't have the privilege now of hearing his tone of voice or looking at his physical eyes I happen to think I like seeing movies so I happen to think when I'm in heaven I'm just going to say hey Lord or God or Jesus and the Trinity whoever's in charge here show me the movie of when Jesus called uh, you know Andrew and Peter or Andrew and and whatever combination that was sorry I'm, I'm bearing from my notes you got it you Veritas people you got me all shooken up here okay Show me that call, the call of Matthew, the tax collector, and we'll get to see it. Won't that be great to see that again? So we don't have that that full revelation yet. But there must have been something about the way Jesus called people that there was like this willingness to drop everything. That doesn't sound like a tyrant to me. That doesn't sound like a manipulator to me. That doesn't sound like someone who's, you know, pushing those buttons and, and trying to cause people to respond out of fear because, you know, you can use fear to get response. That's not that hard to do. But love, love is the way our Jesus speaks to us. That love comes in different forms. When Jesus was baptized, this is the gospel reading today. The gospel reading out of Luke chapter three, verse 21, says when all the people were baptized, Jesus also was baptized. What humility. As he was praying, heaven opened up and the Holy Spirit descended on him in a physical appearance like a dove and a voice came from heaven. I love this phrase. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Can our hearts not hear that? You are a beloved daughter. With you, I am well pleased. This is really what we're all searching for with every type of development and and every type of um, search for our significance. We're really searching for that approval from God. That call of love that comes from Him. And I'm here to remind you this morning that He called you. And that call is not attached to something I want you to sign up for today. That call is not attached to some work I want you to give. That call is not attached to institutional development today. He has called you because He loves you. He's into you. He, he created you and he set his love and affection on you. Let our hearts explode with this. We need to hear it over and over and over again because Satan, the accuser, is, he is accusing us and he's putting our weaknesses in front of our face and the parts of our humanity that we would not prefer and doesn't please the Lord. And he keeps throwing it in our face over and over and over again. But the voice of the Lord says, that's not who you are. You are not the sin, the sin that's so easily besetting to us. No, you are the righteousness of Christ. You are the glory of God. You have the love of the Father that's upon you. This is the message that our heart has to keep opening our, our, itself up to. The Lord wants us to know. The Father called Jesus, and that call was an affirmation of his love. One of the most difficult parts of parenting is, is trusting our kids, or, you know, I always say the old phrase, "trust, but verify." And my kids say, "You don't trust me." I'm like, "You're right. I don't trust you. I kind of trust you, but don't completely trust you." So let me rephrase this. One of the most difficult things about parenting is um, allowing our kids to take risk, because we 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 are protectors. We are providers. And we don't want our children to have negative experiences, but if our children never have a chance to have a negative experience, they'll never fully live. I mean, we can't do that. So all the time, Beth and I, we've 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 worked together, and um, and and we've let allowed our kids to do things, and sometimes we've said, "Man, that was too fast, too much, too quick," and. Beth will say, "Well, honey, I told you so. I know I should have listened to her, because I'm always pushing, pushing the kids, and Mama Bear is protecting them." And, and, and then other times, you know, we look back and we're saying, "Well, you know, we 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 should have let them engage sooner." So no one's perfect at this, but but we continue need we continue to, to need to let our kids uh, find themselves under our leadership and under God's leadership at appropriate times in their development. And it starts out pretty young. I don't know if kids still ride bikes today. I think there's a video game called Ride Your Bike, right? They sit on a couch like this. But there's really only one way to learn to learn to ride a bike. You don't take bike safety school I know they have some of those out there, but you you don't analyze it. You just jump on the thing and go. Jump on the thing and go. Thank God that I learned how to ride a bike before those ugly, stupid helmets were required. Now, if there's any children in here, you need to wear a helmet. That's my, my disclaimer here for liability issues. But you get on the bike, and, and the street I grew up on, Keyhole Street in Irving, Texas, there was a slight hill that was going, and it, and it was actually my older brother, uh, but he, you know he was seven years older than me, and you remember this. They hold the back of your bike, and they start running with you, and then they let go. OK? And you, and you let go, and either you keep, you keep going or you fall. And most of the time we fall. And what's the most important thing to do if you fall is you need someone to yank you back up and push you again. Now, my brother didn't really have the gift of encouragement. He was saying something like, stupid, sissy, get back up, don't make me cry, don't make me, don't look stupid in the whole neighborhood, but hey, God uses all kinds of methods. But a loving father, a great picture that, uh, kind of a picture we all have in our mind is 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 the individual Learning to balance on their own, but the father running alongside. You know, it's, it's not healthy and it's not good and it's long-term for the father to ride for the child or not allow the child to ride or to hold them the entire way. But the father can be there as a guide, as a presence. This is a second observation from Isaiah 40 three today is, I'm reminding you today that he stays with me. He stays with me. Look at verse two. I will be with you. Some of you, the sermon just ended because you've got the word from the Lord today. Listen, come on. I will be with you, says the Lord. Anything you face, he'll be with you. I will be with you. and and He causes us to To overcome certain fears in our life because there's bigger mountains to climb. So there's a mountain before you that some have called just a little hill or a little elevation, and maybe you feel silly. You feel like, I shouldn't be scared. No one else I know is scared of this, or you have an anxiety that's so basic that you don't even want to tell people about. This is real stuff here, guys. This is not a joke. This is a the, the perilous that comes to us because of anxiety and fear. And I just want to tell you, tell you this, is that the Lord's saying, I will be with you. Come on, I will be with you. And some of you, that needs to be your breath prayer to the Lord. You just need to make that declaration over yourself. I will be with you. I will. And the Lord is saying that over you and over you and over, you, over to you so that you will know. I will be with you when you pass through the waters. The Jewish people who read this or heard this read no doubt immediately thought about their history, and it's our history too. The Red Sea parting. A whole army is attacking them, and there's a sea ahead of them, and the Lord parts the waters. And that reminder reminded them, and it reminds us today, that the Lord is with us when we pass through the waters. And when you pass through the rivers, once again, drawing from their history, which is our history, the the thought of the Jordan River, Right before the Jewish people entered their promised land, there was a a river that the Lord divided, bringing back memory of what he did at the Red Sea, bringing a new reality today and bringing back memory to us today. When you pass through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. You will not be scorched when you walk through the fire. No doubt these and now we Lot of Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, those who were persecuted for Christ, and they were thrown in the fiery furnace. And in that instance, the Lord, by His sovereign will, said they were not even burned in one case. And He was with them. In fact, the people who threw those three, those three Hebrew—we call them, you know, Hebrew slaves—is what they were. The, 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 there was a fourth person, the Son of Man, which we know is a personification of Jesus, that was there with them. The flames will not burn you. Guys, our God is with us. And our God is not with us just because we have memory, even though memory is important. And our God is not just with us because we carry a certain relic or we we do some type of work. Our God is with us because of the sending of his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is for us. And, you know, a lot of times some of us think that the Holy Spirit is for church. But the Holy Spirit isn't really for church. It's for when we're outside of the four walls of a church. The Holy Spirit's for when we drive. The Holy Spirit's for when we travel. The Holy Spirit's when we're in our business, uh, business situation and we need His divine wisdom and knowledge. The Holy Spirit is with us in our deepest fear. The Holy Spirit is there when they roll you back to that room in the back of the hospital and you leave that person you love. The Holy Spirit's there. The Holy Spirit's there when you're wondering where your kids are when curfew's almost there, almost up. The Holy Spirit is there for you through the tough times. We learned Tuesday night as we did a teaching on the Holy Spirit that when the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2, and that was to be expected, he came to the Jews. But in Acts chapter 8, he came to the Samaritans, which was a a first fruit of him, being given to the whole world. And this is what happened in Acts chapter 8, starting with verse 14. When the people who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. And after they went down there, they prayed for them so that the Samaritans might receive the Holy Spirit because he had not yet come down on any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit And all Christians since then, since these works in the book of Acts, have had the Holy Spirit. And when we begin to ask, we'll get a greater understanding of the Holy Spirit. And we'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. Not filled with us, filled with him. Not filled with our power, which is limited and which is weak and which will run short. But we're filled with this power that is unlimited, that overcomes the darkness, that overcomes the night, that overcomes the evil, that overcomes our own personality deficiency. It's the Holy Spirit of God. And it's given to us. Why? Why is the Holy Spirit given to us? It's very simple. Because God wants to be with us. The Holy Spirit is not a theological position. The Holy Spirit is not a denominational preference. The Holy Spirit is not just for certain personalities or for the spiritual elite. The Holy Spirit is very relational. It's God with his people. And every single one of you who believes in the name of Jesus and are Christians, you have the Holy Spirit. And so what the, the Lord wants you to, to be is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Like less selfishness and more Holy Spirit. Um, um, uh, an eradication of sin and, and a, a, a rising up of his spirit within you. That's what it means to be filled with his Holy Spirit. You know, in the academic world since the late 1960s, there's been a uh, situational ethics has been part of what's been proposed and taught. And, and this idea that in every context, ethics... Can change, and so all of these crazy scenarios happen, and you've probably heard them somewhere along the way. You know, in, in order to save your child, would you—I don't know—a bomb a random island in the Pacific? That was a really bad example. I should have thought that one out. But you, you understand what I'm saying? Is there, there's these these really crazy scenarios, and I don't even know if they're healthy to To go through with those, or to fully think those out, because we have a sovereign God who's watching over our world. We're not the ones in power to make those decisions anyway. So we're we're, we're guided by objective ethics, Scripture. But there's these scenarios of outlandish love that I've felt towards my family. Uh, you know, specifically my wife and, and my three kids. And I've said these things and I've meant them with my heart. You know, I would do anything for them. It just feels good to say that. And, 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 and our heart needs to say that. I'd do anything for my kid. I would do anything for her. And, and like our heart needs to say this. But it's often not what we would do in the moment. Because it would violate other scriptures. You understand where I'm going with that. But this idea that I have chosen this one woman and these children that the Lord has given us. And, and of course that extends to others and to the family of God. But, but I I have chosen and God has chosen by that choice to love them outlandishly, indescribably. That makes me so crazy that I would even think about doing things that that I know that, are outlandish. And it's this type of mindset that poetically God is saying towards us. You can write this down. He chooses me. No doubt he had chosen the Jewish people and they are still very special to him. But now through Jesus, he has chosen all of us. In this scenario... Either Egypt, which was powerful and had a stronger army, and we even know now historically we're very advanced artistically, and Egypt too, um, is so rich in that Nile culture. Um, in this scenario, God's like, i either choose them, or I'm going to choose little bitty Israel. One family, one tribe. And, and in the natural, you would tr- choose the one more mighty and, and destroy the weaker and the smaller But God says this in a poetic way. He said, I'm I'm choosing Egypt instead of, I'm I'm choosing Egypt to be the ransom. What he's saying is I'm choosing Israel because I'm ransoming Egypt. Egypt will pay the price. Look at verse 3. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, and your Savior, I have given Egypt as a ransom for you. In other words, Egypt's gonna pay the price because I love you. Cush and Seba in your place because you are precious in my sight and honored. I love you. I will give people in exchange for you and nations instead of your life. This is that maybe, and we've made up this phrase, but that reckless love of God that we have sung about in recent years. It's God crazy in love with people. And what he was trying to communicate here is the idea that there had to be a price. There had to be a ransom. And in this case, he's poetically saying Egypt and Cush and Seba are the ransom. I'm going to, I'm going to, Basically destroy them so I don't have to destroy you. And we know now that that's not the case as Ethiopia and Egypt are still existing and still thriving. But we know this is that is that this required payment, this idea of love, God would choose himself and his only begotten son. And he, would, he was beginning to prepare the hearts of people in Isaiah 43 for that kind of love that he has for you and me. Because Jesus is the ransom. Egypt and Cush didn't remain the ransom. Jesus became the ransom, and he came the ransom for all mankind, for Egyptians, for Sudanese. Thank God for the Sudanese church we have in Gallatin, a thriving faith community right here contributing to our society, contributing to Sumner County's health. He gave himself to not just the Jews, but to all people, to you and I, me being a Gentile, me being one-eighth Icelandic. You probably didn't know that. He loved the Icelandic people, too. All people. But I wanted you to see the love, his crazy love for you, that he would just say something like this, people that I've chosen, I give everything to we see the power of God in our Psalm today. Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. This is Psalms 29, starting verse now, in verse 2. Ascribe to the Lord the glory, do his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is above the waters. The glory of God thunders. The Lord above the vast waters. The voice of the Lord in power. The voice of the Lord in splendor. The voice of the Lord breaks. The cedars the Lord shatters the cedars of Lebanon he makes the Lebanon he makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a wild a young wild ox the voice of the Lord flashes flames of fire the voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness the voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh the voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the woodlands bare in his temple all cry glory the Lord sits enthroned over the flood Let that be a message to you today. The Lord sits enthroned king forever. The Lord gives his people strength. The Lord blesses his people with peace. This is the word of the Lord for us. He is above the flood. Here's the last thing I want to say, and Pastor Aubrey can make his way up here. I want to invite our ushers to begin to prepare, to distribute communion. Here's the last point, is then he restores me. (laughs) He restores me. Again, he says, just like he did in verse 1, verse 5, do not fear, for I am with you. This is verse 5, Isaiah 43. Do not fear, for I am with you. And then I will bring your descendants from the east. I will gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up and to the south. Do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who bears my name and is created for my glory, I have formed them. Indeed, I have made them. And this prophecy has come true twice in in a smaller measure in the return of the Babylonian uh, captivity the first time. In the restoration of the Jewish people to their homeland in the 20th century. But the bigger, the bigger part of the story is this, is this will come to pass in our future. God is calling mankind to this idyllic place, this place where he's in charge, this place where his glory is known, this place where everyone will see. And they're coming from the north, to the, from the south, from the east, from the west. Why? Because God has called them. God has chosen them. God has ransomed them. God has set his affection upon them. And God has a design for them. And we're part of that story. We're part of the gathering of God's people. And he loves the entire world. And he's bringing the entire world back to himself, back to his heart. He is ransomed. He has ransomed the whole world through one man, through one act, through one cross, through one resurrection. And we are the ones who had the foretaste of that story. We are the carriers of that which is known as the gospel. It's the good news. We're not just church going people, we're not just people who give money to the church, we're not people who are just southern religious people. We are carriers of the gospel. We are carriers of the mystery of Christ. We are the first fruits of what God wants to do for the whole world. He wants to redeem the whole world. And they're coming from the north. They're coming from the south, the east, the west. God loves the entire globe, the entire world. He cares about every tribe, every nation, every language. And that's why we get to be his light starting right here in Sumner County. I think. I thank God for what Pastor Austin spoke over us, that he spoke over us. This is a significant work. And I'm gonna tell you something, have eyes of faith, have spiritual eyes, not to see what you can see in this room, but to know that the ripples are happening when we have people who are trained in the word of God, people passionate about the things of God, people who love the, the, the church and not just the church in one location with one identity, but the church worldwide. And we're going to see the greatest move of God on this globe that's ever happened. It's been prophesied. It's been predicted, and we get to see it if we want to be people of prayer. These are not days to live in, in kind of a sentimental uh, kind of desire for the past. What God did in the 1970s was great, but we're not even in the 20th century anymore. This is a 21st century and we're 20 years in to the 21st century. This is our day. This is our life. Your faith matters. Your dedication to the Lord matters. Your contributions to the kingdom of God matters. Don't think that you are an insignificant one because you are called by God and your moral choices and where your heart is will make a difference in his plan to redeem the world.